the Everyman Podcast. We got a we got a hot one today, a special one. We got a returning champion here, uh, and a new friend, a new brother in the Cosmic Canoe. Uh, joining us today here is uh, Chris Wilson. Chris was on the podcast episode sixty seven in the archives uh, way back at the beginning of this here. Uh, uncertain circumstances we all find ourselves in. Uh, former NFL player, second round draft pick to the Chiefs. Uh, now he's an independent filmmaker, associate producer of NFL Films. Again, uh, all around good brother, Mr. Chris Wilson. And uh, joining us as well, the handsome man at the bottom of your screen, is uh, Naquan Lee. And uh, so, Chris, right off the bat, man, what's up? How you doing? What's going on? What, what have you been up to since the last time we, we, we spoke? And uh, introduce us here to this this handsome fellow. Man, I don't I don't remember what month that was, man. But um, since then, uh, I just been kind of plugging away at it, you know, doing some sports sports documentary work with NFL films and um, a little bit of writing um, and taking care of the fan. That's about it, brother. That's the everyman way. So, tell us about uh, Naquan here. Introduce your, introduce him and uh, tell us how you guys know each other. Oh, well, Quan is one of my oldest friends. You know what I mean? Like we lose guys along the way. Um, everybody who you start out with isn't necessarily who you finish with. But um, I met Quan back in high school. We played football together, and he just. Um, he always was ahead of his time. He was a little younger than me, but obviously um, we were playing on the same team, so he had something special going on. And he's been able to carry that through. So throughout the years, we've we've sort of had similar goals and and a similar similar journey. So he's definitely one of the friends that I've been able to um, keep in contact with, and we've been able to, uh, you know, I guess you could say. Um, see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I think that that's that's helped us to remain friends throughout the years. So, Quan, man, that being said, now now we understand the backdrop a little bit. You guys you guys started out as teammates. What's up, man? What are you up to today? How, how's everything going with you, bro? Man, I'm good. Man, everything's great. Uh, working, you know, living, trying to my best to be somebody and do something for somebody else. Right. That's um, the way, right there. That's the way, right. So, uh, you know, that's me. Um, I love, I love Chris. I love all my boys. Uh, and, and I try to take care of everybody the best I can and make sure everybody's right. So I check in with everybody and and I do my thing and, and, and hope that they check in with me too. <laughs> Absolutely. So now I see the blue hen in the background, Delaware football. We're going to get back to high school here in a second, but you're, you're no, uh, slouch when it comes to the running game from from what I understand my conversations with Daryl and uh, and Chris here and uh, you played with some serious talent in Delaware that that ended up you know playing in the league obviously Joe Flacco Mike Adams um, how did you kind of develop yourself and we and we got this kind of information from Chris last time he was on so when you were in high school at what point did you kind of realize like I, I want to kind of take this to a second level if there is another level for me and, and what was kind of like your reason in, in getting to that next level? Um, I was, I was the athlete from a young age. I mean, sports is what drove me. All right. So, um, I was the 10 year old 
five seven guy who just looked athletic i was the 12 year old athlete i was the 13 like i was on that path the entire time there were other people that were telling me this is what you're going to do right um and, and that path was oh you're going to be this and you're going to be that a lot of times it was basketball because i was tall and then um it turned to football um so when i got into high school um you know i was in ninth grade uh chris was a senior and I played varsity, and um, you know, it was you wanna if you're on that team, you were looking at Chris, and you were trying to do the same thing. So there you go. I mean, I I started in various positions on defense. I think I started off as Chris's backup, but because I was athletic, I played just anything where somebody wasn't. I played corner, safety, D end, like I played whatever they. So I started every single game at a different position, and then. I think Chris got hurt one time and I played that position for a short period of time. But for the most part, I played every other position. So you were like all purpose. So hold on. So young I, Slash. I didn't, I didn't I didn't know that you, you was on defense too now. I, I, I thought it was just, you know, Mr. Six Feet, 210 pound running back, you know, taking people down. <laughs> so talk, talk to me about that. JP McCaskey, straight out of there. Like, you know. Yeah, I was a defender by trade. I mean, I chose to be a running back. Chris will tell you. Um, yeah, I was a defender. I, uh, I had 19 offers in high school. And I think if you count, and I'm talking about 19 real offers, uh, 1A and 1AA, but most of them were to play defense. Okay. The reason I came to Delaware is because Tubby Raymond sat me down and said, he's like, hey, he's like, I hear that if I tell you you can play running back, that you can come to my school. And I said, likely. And he said, well, you can play anything you want here. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. said, "All right, well, that works." <laughs> so, running back was your passion. Then. That that's that that was your that was your position. That was your decision when you wanted to go to Delaware. So, running back was the passion. Tell me a bit, little bit about that. Hold on, before you before you answer that, Quan, let me just chime in and say, <laughs> so, what he just told you was that at the Division One AA level, the national a national championship team." A coach told him he could play any position he wanted to play on the field. That's you. You've been around coaches, DC. You've been oh, yeah. around the game, Justin. You know the game. Like for for a coach at that level to tell a kid you can play whatever position you want, that sort of speaks to the type of athlete that this guy was coming out of high school. Yeah, I was a good athlete coming out of high school. I believe I agree with him. Uh, uh, I'll tell you some cool. I'll tell you a cool story about Chris, right? So when I came out of high school, though Chris don't believe me, before I was 13, I could dunk a basketball. That's the kind of athlete I was. Mm. Um, Chris was a senior. I was a freshman, right? Freshman, I'm 5'9", 180, 185, probably as a freshman. Um, probably could run, I'll say, at least 4'5", in the 40. And... I ran track, you know, I made all leagues in 200 that year. You know, I, I, I was I was able to move. I was a little smaller. And uh, we played against, uh, what was his name? He went to Syracuse. Ellie Salamo, okay? Played against Ellie Salamo. He's running back for running. This guy's running all over us. We didn't have a good defense that year. Um, and, I'm, I mean, this guy hits, hits the corner and he takes down the sideline. I'm like, I can catch this guy. So I'm running, full speed. Man, don't you know Chris comes past me, <laughs> chasing this dude? 
And I don't think he called him. I don't remember if he called him or not. But I remember thinking to myself, Big Mo. Well, I don't know. He can say, he can say, go ahead. Say whatever you want. Go ahead. You can let it loose. He back, like, like, that's not right. Something ain't right about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's when I knew something. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in his back pocket for a little bit. Oh, See what this guy's scary, up man. to. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I remember, you know, my limited experience in uh, high school athletics here. There was, there was a, a, a set of twin brothers that were extremely talented and they played football track you know basketball baseball and it was like to the point where you would see like everything would stop and they would run and you would just be like oh yeah okay that's those are the dogs right there like (laughs) you know like everyone knew who who it was and uh so it's like it's cool that that's when you're when you're a performer um or an athlete any any kind of competitor it's there's a lot of value in being able to identify when someone is better than you and you can learn from them or, or just flat out, like this guy has, has a skill that I, I don't have. And, uh, I have to kind of compensate in other ways and find, find another way to be competitive. Um, I think that's a really, it's a valuable thing that, that you learn in, in, in sports that you, you don't pick up other places and then maybe 20 years down the line, you get to an office place and there's somebody that's just more prepared than you. It's everything. That's me. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know if Chris remembers this, but th- probably the next Monday after practice, I was like, "Yo, you give me a ride home. I need to see. I need to see how you drive. <laughs> I need to see everything. You know what I mean? So just in case. That, yeah, that, no. I'm telling you, that's everything for me. I, 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 my entire career is built off of finding who the person is that you need to learn from and attaching myself to them. Well, Let's that's go. yeah. I mean, that's why I'm always bugging Daryl about something. He's, he's he teaches me all the time. Um, now, I want to talk about growing up, and I see you know I know you're from Lancaster, right? And I I am I grew up in Bucks County here in, in Pennsylvania, and uh, Lancaster is right in my backyard. I I constantly am getting made fun of uh, by my colleagues at work the way I say Lancaster. Uh, they all say it's <laughs> Lancaster, and I'm like, it's well, that's not the way I say it. You know, it's uh, it's Lancaster, Lancaster, bro. Lancaster. Yeah, that's how we say it. And then they all make fun of me. They're like, ah, oh, shut up, you're Amish, and I'm like, eh, you know, piss off, whatever. So, um, now, a lot of people when you travel, and Chris, you could probably relate to this. Um, they, oh, where are you from? Pennsylvania. What part? If you don't say Philadelphia, and you don't say Pittsburgh, they just assume you're near the Amish or you, 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 you are Amish or something like, it's just like what people think a lot of times. Um, what was it like growing up for you in an area where you're kind of obviously not Amish, but you're doing your thing. And then every now and then there's like a horse and buggy that goes by and you have this kind of complete insulated culture around you and kind of like woven in. And I was just up there this, this past weekend and I parked the Jeep in a spot, and I kid you not, a dude comes up in a horse and buggy, hitches his horse to the pole, and just goes in and does his business. And I was like, huh. And then I come out, and I'm wondering, I wonder if the horse is still the horse is still there. You know, nobody's taking the horse. So what was it like for you guys kind of growing up in that environment? I'll start with you, Quan. Well, uh, it's interesting. So the, the Lancaster that is promoted on TV – and that people know of and visit the outlets and paradise and the different things is not the Lancaster that we grew up in. It's very similar to uh, if someone told you, I know, I know Daryl, you're from Chicago, right? If somebody Mm. says Chicago, you picture the South side of Chicago or 
you picture the bulls. You don't picture $800,000 condos in the Chicago downtown area, right? No. So uh, for us, it's, it's the, that's the picture that's painted is the Amish and outlets and stuff like that. And we're actually from a city that's, I think, I would say 60% Spanish and about 15% black. So you're talking about 80, almost 80% of the population is some color. And then, uh, and that's, that's the city. And then uh, surrounding areas, you've got probably, you know, 75% white. But at the, at the end of the day, you're, you're talking about a place where you can get dropped into and look around and think you're in Chicago for, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. it's actually a lot different. Um, and where we kind of grew up and where we were around, we didn't see horse and buggies too often. But as soon as you leave town, that's a part of the culture. You just know it's there. Every once in a while, you'll see one walking around. Amish people do a lot of work on houses and stuff like that. Yeah, very respectable community, and they respect us too. So, um, that that's my take on on that piece of it. But yeah, I've been many places. You say Lancaster, and they're like, "Oh, Amish," and you're like, "Eh, kind of." <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because a couple months ago, when I was I was out there the first time, I was telling Daryl how we went into into Lancaster City, you know, and. I was saying how like, oh, you know, there's a lot of similarities here. Like there's poverty here and there's farm poverty over here. Like, you know, there is, but it was two very different worlds, you know, coming from the shady maple smorgasbord over, you know, we went to the Lancaster Brewing Company and yeah, it's just like, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's like, I didn't, you passing through Pennsylvania, you didn't realize there was a, you know, a city here. You go two two blocks north into the and 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 a block west, and you would think you were somewhere else from the Lancaster Brewing Company. I mean, it's just two, it's different worlds. Absolutely. Well, let, let me let me ask you this because, and, and I'm going to piggyback off that story you just told about Chris. You know how he kind of ran right by you. So every year here at NFL Films, we do this like you know flag football game, right? And we never lost. The producers never lost to like the seasons, never <laughs> lost at all. Like it was just like, you know, I'd be out there just kind of rushing people or whatever doing it. And the first year that, that Chris becomes a part of that group that comes in and that seasonals, he mosses everybody like I everybody. I I oh, my God. He had, he, I think he put it on the social, but he was like one arm catches in the, in the and it was like thundering and raining out there. He doing this stuff in the rain, slow motion, just mossing everybody, man. So when you say like you look up to a person like Chris, I mean, hell, Chris is the type of person I look up to up in, up in Phil's because just like the same dog that you had when you was at Delaware, just like the same dog you had to get out of JP, JP McCaskey, you know what I mean? That's the same type of dog that Chris has now as, as a, uh, as a consummate professional, you know what I mean? Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, Running back, that type of mentality, how does that like inform your person today? You know what I mean? You talk about giving back. How does that, how does that, you know, define you? Man, it's, 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 it's in everything I do. So I had two different ways of growing up. Um, I grew up first with my mom um, in a situation that I wouldn't put anybody in. Um, and then my uncle decided to take me on, which is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. And uh, I saw the other side, right? I saw a person that gets up and goes to work every day, works 60, 70 hours a week to make sure that you have everything you want. He said, uh, if you achieve this goal, you will get X. And then every single time I got X, so I wanted to achieve another goal, achieve another goal. My uncle used to give me 50 cents a yard in high school, you know, and I'm out there rushing for, you know, you know, 175 yards and then catching for, 
you know, 50, 75 yards in the game. So I'm getting checks. I'm getting paid. I feel like I got a job. You know what I mean? But he wanted it to be important to me, and he wanted me to see the value, right, of doing well in that. And it paid off for him. Well, more so for me one day when I got a scholarship. So um, in uh, my upbringing and, and my entire situation, I've always seen the value in following and, and being, like, kind of influenced by the right people. And then it, it carried on to college where I put myself in the right groups and I still have a great group of college friends. I have a great group of high school friends and, um, and continue now, like at work, I know, I understand, you know, who, who is, who has the, uh, career that I'll path that I'm on. And, and I attach myself in those kind of situations and I try to be the person that my kids want to attach themselves to. Right. And I try to be the person that other people want to attach themselves to. And then, I reach back, right? Uh, so I look for kids that are like me or or, or, or uh, in a situation where they need some help. And one of the things that I've taken on to is finance and, and money. And uh, I really felt that I was done a disservice most of my life and not understanding it. So I chose to teach myself. And that's something that nobody else around me had the right expertise in that I was looking for. So I, I figured out how to teach myself. And once I learned it, it changed my life. And, and that's when I really started seeing the other side of life. And uh, I, I started saying, you know what, one day I'm going to start teaching kids this. And then COVID hit and everything shut down. And I said, you know what, this is the time. So I started getting kids on Zoom and started doing groups and, and started Be Youth, which is my nonprofit organization. And I started teaching kids financial literacy and it has been fulfilling. I taught it to my kids. My kids are young. They understand it. And now, you know, we probably taught over 100 kids at this point. Um, and, um, that, that was my way it was to learn and then teach somebody else. See, I, I, you, you make a really awesome point there. And I got to bring that up for all of our everyman listeners. We always talk about paying it forward and how important that is. Not, not, not just for, you know, the, the person next door or your, your fellow man, but, you know, especially when we talk about our youth, because they're going to be the future, right? That's, that's more important than anything. And the biggest thing that you said there is you taught yourself. I, I, I want to rewind, I want to rewind back to that. Like, how how did you do that? Because you know what? It's it's, it's somebody that's gonna be listening to us and be like, yo, man, like, Nakwan taught himself. Like, what resources did he use? Like, how did he how did how did he devise that so he can pay it forward and 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 be instrumental in some other children's lives, the youth? You know what I mean? Yep. So I started uh, putting myself in like, so I ask questions. I don't have a problem asking questions. I'm very forward. So people within my organization, you know, I started talking to people that have job titles where I know they made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I said, Hey, what do you do with your money? I'm sure I'm at, I've asked Chris at some point, what do you do with your money? Uh, Mike Adams is, is another person I connect with a lot. What do you do with your money? He hooked me up with his financial advisors. Talk to the guy. Um, I came along Dave Ramsey, started listening to that podcast, read his book, right? Learn how to manage my everyday finances, make a budget, make sure there's no debt. Then I started seeing money stack up because I didn't have debt. I'm like, oh, so you don't make money and buy everything you want and then try to save some. You make money, pay yourself, invest in yourself and don't make bills you can't pay, right? And so then I got into that, I started paying stuff off and I started seeing money stack up and I'm like, damn, what am I gonna do with this? So I started buying real estate. I bought a house, worked out. 
went back bought another one. I'm like, all right. Then I went back and bought another one. I'm like, okay, so this this like compounds. Then I read the book. Uh, so the Total Money Makeover is the first book I read, and then the next book I read. Uh, then I, you know, so then I'm like, all right, that worked out. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm like, oh, okay, I understand this 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 corporate versus uh, entrepreneurship piece. Okay. So then I was like, okay. And somebody said something to me one day about understanding millions, like understand money by millions. If you learn money in hundreds, you'll make hundreds. If you learn money in thousands, you'll make thousands. If you learn money in millions, you'll make millions. Right. So then I, I picked up the millionaire next door, man, that's a good book. And I started reading that and I, you know, I got, I started getting into all these books so much. I started listening to them because I'm like, man, I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm driving so much. Let me start listening to them. So I started picking up all these gems and understanding, trying it and testing it. And once I started testing it, it all works. <laughs> it all works. Low interest rates, no interest at all. Save and buy cash. If you can't buy it three times, don't buy it. Like it all works. And then as it started to stack up, I mean, I'm just a kid, right? I'm just a kid that came from Lancaster. You know, I was, you know, just come from everyday parents, parents that had some issues, you know, got passed along to another person, sent off to college on your own. Like, you know, and I'm just learning and taking it in. And I'm like, you know what? Like I started to stack different amounts of money. And then I wanted to tell people, like, I, like, I wanted my friends to know, like, listen, stop what you're doing. And everybody didn't want to hear that. <laughs> everybody didn't want to hear that. But it was like, no, you really should stop what you're doing and read all these books. And, and by that time I was so far ahead that it was hard to stop back and make people follow every single thing that I had been doing. But I would give the information. And after a while, you give the information for a while, you see people not following. I'm like, you know what? I, I got to put this together. So I got with my friend, Sophia, who um, she used to be a consultant. She built decks. She worked in HR. And I'm like, let's take all this information and put it on something. And let's share it with people. Yeah. And, and, and we started doing it. But really, when I say taught myself, man, I just I started seeking out the information. And then I, I, I found resources. And then I just found one and just it, it just started to steamroll. And I got another one and another one. And then when you test those things, they work, man. Somebody tells you to wake up every day and get into a habit and, 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 and eat a certain way and work out. And you're going you're gonna to get the goal. You're going to hit your goals. And it's the same way with finances. If you put time and energy into money, you're going to understand it. And I, I tell people this all the time. Like, we play football, right? When did you start playing football, Darrell? What age? Jesus, uh, my honestly, I didn't start playing until my sophomore year of high school. Okay, you you started your sophomore year, Chris. You started at what ten? Chris, you on mute? You on mute? <laughs> eighth grade, maybe third. I was about thirteen. You started eighth grade. I started uh, sixth grade. Right? We practiced two hours a day, five days a week, likely. Then we had a game on game on Friday, Saturday, whatever day of the week you had a game. Right? So. You're putting 10, 12 hours a week into this sport, right? Then you got to high school and it was all summer, okay? Then it was 10, 12 hours a week during the season. So essentially, by the time you graduated high school, you put 1,000 hours into the sport. You go to college and you eat, sleep, and breathe it. Now, let's just take it back. Imagine you started learning about money at that point and you put 12 hours a week. By the time you graduate high school, you put 1,000 hours into it. And then you ate, sleep, and slept and breathed it the whole way through college. Where would you be? I, I tell you what, absolutely. <laughs> you absolutely. would be in a good spot. 
And that, and that's the thing that kids don't understand. It's okay not to take two hours a day and play football, but if you're not going to do it, go study money. Go study music. Go study something else and put that same time and effort into that. Where are you going to be? I preach it every day. Every day. Yep. You, it's about it's about building skills and putting tools in your belt. And, you know, we always been taught it, it, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Like, either you're getting better or you're getting worse. Ain't really no in between. Ain't really no staying in the same spot. So, like, you got to put that time into doing something productive. Whenever my uh, nephews, nieces, um, people younger than me, who are particularly in their 20s and trying to figure out what they should be doing, some don't want to do nothing. Some want to hit the moon, right? But I tell them all the same thing. As long as you, as long as you putting tools in your belt throughout your 20s. You're winning. I don't care what you do. Just make sure you make sure you build in skills. You can figure out what to do with those skills later, right? Well, because everybody changes careers in their 30s anyway, right? Everybody everybody hits 30 and figures out like, oh, this is not what I really want to do. What I really want to do is this. And you start you start building your life and and putting things together. So like, whatever you're doing in your 20s anyway is is probably not what you're going to be doing. Um, later unless you've already found your passion at a really young age and you're not like everybody else but for the most part what you're doing in your 20s you're not gonna be doing in your 30s so just make sure you're being productive just make sure you're doing picking up some type of skill that could benefit you in the future i don't care what it is you can go to school to do uh go to school for math and then go to go to grad school and you know study law and then come back and be a filmmaker later now you study in the arts you'll find a way to put all that together. Somehow there's something out there that requires your unique skill set. So as long as you build in skills along the way, that's the key to it. And so for him to be doing a financial piece and being that person in young people's lives who, you know, can, can need a financial education, need financial literacy, um, it's definitely something productive to do with your time. That's, I mean, if you plan on making any type of money, uh, it would behoove you to know what to do with it <laughs> when it come, or you're going to lose it. And and that's, you know, with us athletes, that's what, that's what happens with us, right? Like, like what's the statistic? Something like 80% of guys are bankrupt after a certain amount of years out, out of the league, a couple years out of the league bankrupt yeah. Yeah. after you made millions. Right. So how many of us could have used financial literacy at a young age? We trying to figure it out. Once we hit the league, we trying to, we trying to go to the rookie symposium and get 20 years worth of information in a three hour session. Yeah. And then they say, and then they say, go figure it out on your own. So it's always those guys who, who get it at home or who got it in high school or who had parents who had friends of the family who, was giving them these gems along the way, showing them you need to learn this and you need to learn that along the way. Those guys end up better off. Those are the guys who, at six years, are like, you know what? I don't want to play football anymore. You're like, oh, man, how could you retire? It's the best job in the world. You're getting paid so much money. And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be all right. Stepping away from the game. Right? Yeah. So you start running to people that are not doing it for the check. Yeah. For people. I never understood that. You hear people making millions or not making millions and say, oh, I do it for the love of it. And I'm like, how you pay your bills, though? And they, 
they but they but they understood they understood that they had that security and understood that from the beginning so now they're doing it and they enjoy it and they can do it you know they ain't got they don't have to wait you know they out there half broke broken and bruised trying to you know make sure they create generational wealth for the next generation because you know this is all my family has like they're not doing that you know they're they're set up right and I hope to do that for my kids and I hope to do that for other people who can do that for their own self go ahead Daryl no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. How, how do you find and identify um, pe- you know s- students young people uh, that need this help are, are you tied into a, like a specific group or I mean just networking how, how are you doing that uh, one of the, one of my skills is networking. Um, I do a really good job of it. It's kind of what I do for a living, right? I network and, and, and work with different people. Um, FYI, I'm a, I'm a like a, a regional manager for a, a tool company, so I have a team of guys that we work on the relationship building side of the business. We build relationships with large contractors and take care of them and make sure that they're happy with what we're doing, right? So. Um, that's something I do very well. And I've, uh, think about, it. I played on a team with a hundred guys, right. That rotated 20 in and out every year. Right. So what's that 200 people that I know you know, within the sports world, uh, 50% of those guys probably work with kids in some, some, some form or fashion. Um, so, uh, and I played on plenty of teams for plenty of coaches. So I just reach out to that, that network of people, uh, coaches, teachers, Hey, give me some kids that you think should should benefit from this program. Um, here goes some information. And to be honest with you, 75% of the time, the adults I reach out to end up benefiting from the class as much as the kids. That's facts. Yeah. That's awesome. That's well, awesome. I'll tell you what, you know, you talk about networking, Daryl and I, that's one of the one of our mutual. If we had a Venn diagram of our relationship, right in the middle there would be our passion for networking. And we have our networks of associates, and I'm happy to have you both in my uh, in my network. It's uh, always always good when you can connect with with uh, people that that have knowledge that are willing to share. And it's like I said earlier, like that goes hand in hand with oh wait, this guy has something I can learn from. And then still being a teacher and a student, I mean it's a it's a position that's you know when you're a young man or young woman, I would imagine as well, um, either your ego can kind of keep you from doing that and uh, i think it's really it's really excellent that, you, that you're kind of focusing that those ideas into that kind of package that's the, that's, that piece right there is like what you said about just what everyone has said really about you know being a teacher and being a listener and having to have that skill that's the that's that is the biggest piece for a lot of people that's the biggest hurdle for people to get over like once i once I, I don't, I don't, I can't even recall the exact point where I actually got it and the light bulb went off, but I know that I got, a, I got to a point in my life early on where I, and, and probably from being coached, I got to a point in my life early on where it was like, okay, if, if, if I'm not the expert in this area and this person is better than me or this person is an expert in this area, I need to shut up and listen. I don't need to be the guy who's talking. I need to be the guy who's asking questions, maybe trying to absorb information, but I need to be, I need to be a sponge right now. And so a lot of people struggle with knowing when to be a sponge and when to soak up information 
and knowing when to, you know, when the ego comes in and you feel like you got to pretend like you know it all or pretend like you're on the same level as people. When I go to the doctor's office, I ask questions. I don't go into the doctor's office <laughs> trying to tell him about how the human body works. Give me the chest out. Right. About how, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I know, I, I, I know as much as you, as much as you do. Like, well, I, I was on WebMD. Web yeah, I was on WebMD this morning. <laughs> and I've either got colon cancer or it's a cold. So you tell me, Doc. I'm just here. I'm just here for you to tell me which one of those two. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. But you, but you're right though. You're right though. It, 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 it does have to do with, you know, Chris. That's 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 really eloquent the way you put that. Knowing when to basically be quiet and 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 take some information in, and then um, knowing also too and and not you know, Quan, you 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 said it beautifully. Knowing when to pass it on because that's another thing too. Uh, you know, I, I find that the hardest thing for young people nowadays, and this is this might just be my own opinion is uh the hardest thing for young people to do nowadays is ask questions and you you led the whole discussion with like i had no problem asking questions that's the hardest thing because they feel like they know it all you know what i'm saying yeah. I, I, like they, they feel like they know it all or they've or been scared. there before oh yeah or, or, or they're scared there's, there's that fear piece too. rejection i think is a big or, or the fear of your peers seeing you ask questions yep yeah yep. because that's an indication that's an indication that you don't know and so everybody wants to sort of project this image as if they know what's going on. They're on the same level as the people in the room. So it takes a, it takes confidence in yourself, confidence in what you're doing in your life and your journey in order for you to say, you know what? I don't know anything about that right there. Like I've done, I've done things in my life. I've done things in my life to where people respect what I've done to where people look up to what I've done. So I don't have any problem walking into a room and telling somebody, you know what? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to use it. How did you do that? Right. Because I'm, because I'm, because I'm cool with, with what I have and what, what I've done and what, what I've learned. And, and so I don't have it. That that's the hang up. Sometimes people are, are afraid to say, I don't know. I don't know that. And that, and so then you put up the wall and now you have to project this image like you are. Now I don't want to ask a question because if I, if I ask a question, now I'm letting everybody in this room know that I don't know. You, you, you don't have to know. You, you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to have the answer because you're not the, you're not the expert in this area. You've never learned anything about it. I'm sure there's something in your life where we should be listening to you. Mm-hmm. It, and, and no judgment involved. Like I got certain, I got a certain skill set that lets me operate in this world. But if I go out, you know, hunting and fishing, or go out on the ocean with a marine biologist, and 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 I'm trying to make it out there with them, I'm looking to them. I'm not, I'm not gonna pretend like I know what you know. I respect your knowledge. I don't care if you a country bumpkin from backwoods Alabama, backwoods Pennsylvania, and you've never seen any of the things that I've seen but you know how to survive out in this wilderness and I'm out here camping, bro, I'm sitting with you. <laughs> you know, man, and, and this is kind of all, all this conversation is really making me kind of think about the way our, our culture is kind of positioned right now. And this is kind of something that Daryl and I talk a lot about, which is kind of, social media and and the more negative aspects of of what it's kind of created and 
when you look at from from my seeing little kids across the street filming their TikTok dances to fit in in that thing, all the way up to you know what whoever's hot take on Facebook of whatever topic, um, you have this minority of the world that's very vocal that's presenting a new way of communication through social media into our little brains that are not evolved yet to this method of communication and kind of posturing. And you have all these people, you talk about people being afraid to ask questions. You have all these young people and people my age, myself, even maybe who maybe they're seeing what happens when somebody asks a question about something on any topic and they don't, they kind of retreat back into themselves because they're like, yeah, you know what? Now nah, everybody's an expert. Look at this. This guy's got, he's got 15 Jeeps and a, you know, Dodge Ram and this and that. And, oh, look at all these, this kid's got every hyped sneaker and oh, this kid got the iPhone 13. And we have this, you know, this culture of like flash what you have in this brief moment where you're only seeing somebody's minute in their day that's curated. And then it's stuck in your mind for a, a, a could be a lifetime. And I think you have this compounding problem of people kind of presenting themselves in a way that's, that's not accurate. And then people being confused and unsure. So they just kind of keep quiet. So they're like, why would I ask questions? Why it's not cool to, to invest or to get educated? Like, it's just not cool. And, and I'm not even gonna ask about it, you know? And it's almost like we, we've kind of elevated things that, push those down like intentionally like one thing goes up and the other goes down and i said to daryl time like man sometimes i get confused on what like i don't know if i'm just getting old and i'm turning into like my dad but sometimes i see some things i'm like what are we doing here are we are we encouraging good stuff or are we just making bad prop make just making new problems and it's it affects every aspect of of life and really just makes me you know I don't know. Maybe I'm just sensitive to it. Well, yeah, I think, I, I think I, go ahead, go ahead. I want to say I think it, I think it's real. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know how much it affects me because um, I see it for what it is, and I don't know uh, if a guy is up there with 50 cars, but he got diabetes. I don't want to deal with diabetes. I'd rather not have his cars. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. There's always something else going on. Yep. Um, and my kids are too young. Uh, I don't really let them on social media at this age. Their social media is what I say, and if I tell them that <laughs> the original one Twitter. Car, having one car and paying five grand for it and buying it cash is the right thing, that's what they know, you know. Um, I think that uh, um, we have a standard operating procedure in my house, and if you don't know, you got to ask a question, and you can't come to me unless you've asked. The, like if you're at school and you have an issue, first thing you do is ask the question. If you don't understand the answer to the question then you need to go up to the teacher and say, how do I don't understand the answer? I, I, I would like, you have time for me after school or whatever. I want to sit down and understand this. And then when you come to me, it's because the teacher told you no. And that's what I'm going to call her. But at the end of the day, um, there's two questions that have to be asked to let somebody know you don't understand. I expect that that will happen in their social groups. I expect that will happen in everything else. I've taught my kids that they're very smart, and they are. Um, and I don't think that... Uh, you know, there's somebody else that's going to be, be able to change that influence on them to be able to say, oh, you're, you're, you're stupid because you asked a question. And I think my kid would be like, you're stupid because you didn't. 
I asked for you because I know you didn't know either. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that right there. I mean, again, another topic we talk about a lot is is as I've gotten older, like what you're saying right there, social media is what I say. Like the benefit of having a parent that's invested, you know, at, at least one parent that's invested and being able to kind of encourage and praise that in general. Like that's that's a huge that's a huge advantage. Like you're because they're they're gonna fall back they always gonna have that knowledge of you to fall back on. And and like you were saying, compared with financial literacy, like if you don't have that at an early age, you're not just going to all of a sudden get it. And that, that goes right along with like, because what you're talking about there, you know, your, your SOP, if you will, is like problem solving and following a chain of command. And that's what like music taught me was like, okay, I, I, I got the tools in my toolkit to teach myself now I can teach myself other things and like if this doesn't work you problem solve and you try it this way and if that doesn't work and later on in life that benefits you in any line of work any uh-huh. any group setting because I've seen it where people are just there's five six professional guys all making a lot more money than I do looking around trying to figure out how to do something and it's like well did we check this did we check you know and you just run through the list and once you know that that startup procedure kind of, if, if you will, um, you can apply that to everything else. Like you're saying like, Hey, I got a question. Okay. I don't understand the answer. Okay. I need more help. Okay. They said no. Like that's that you can model your whole life after, after following that, that chain. The way I, I mean, I see it with my, I see it with my daughter, you know, and I got my daughter and I got a stepdaughter for my daughter. Uh, she's confident. Um, she's, she's capable. Um, she's, she's smart, but at the same time, there's, there are pressures and everything's pulling on much like Juan. She's, she's 13 years old and there is no social media at this point. I mean, she gets a little taste of it from other people's phones and other people's devices, but, um, there is no social media at this point. That's a deliberate decision. That's because like, as much as we want to live these lives where we just get unfiltered information um, and the benefits that that brings because we have more access to more information, I see the benefit in that. But when you're raising a child, um, you kind of do have to filter the information because they are sponges, because they don't have the life experience to rule out certain possibilities or process certain information by weighing it against the consequences or things that you know or seen have been done as a consequence like there's just there's no way to there's no way to sort of process what is reliable information and what's unreliable information and so it needs to be filtered and it it needs to be sort of censored you know, so that's that's the reason why we've always had these rating systems and these advisories and like those those aren't bad things. You know what I mean? And, and to operate that is, is not necessarily bad. So to take a child and to in this day and age just completely say, you know what, screw all the ratings, screw all of the advisories and things like that. Let's just give our children all the information and just bombard them with it and just see what happens. It's it's irresponsible. And so it, it does matter the investment of the parent. You can't just you just can't just hand your child a phone with internet access and say go have at it. With some kids you can, 
And so, like, my stepdaughter is, she, two different personalities, right? Two different ways of processing information, two different ways of, you know, um, using that information in the real world. So I'm not saying that there's no child that can do it because all children are different. I'm saying you need to, you need to be invested enough to know your child, know what their struggles are, know what their strengths are, know what their weaknesses are, know what type of, how they, their level of responsibility and how they can handle temptation and things like that. And when you and your judgment feel like, okay, I can hand them more responsibility, then it's up to you to do so. But to just at a very young age say, here, here's everything, figure it out. And, you know, Godspeed. Uh, I can't agree with that. Uh, I tell you what's funny that you said SOP, right? You said that's an SOP. Um, And that operating procedure that that I gave you came from a non-educated parent of mine because you know why? They didn't want me coming home asking the question. So they gave me an operating procedure that allowed me to figure it out at school before I came home because as I got older, I realized the reason was because he didn't want me, my uncle didn't want me coming home asking questions about technical school things, right? He wanted me to figure that out before I got home. And that empowered me to figure it out. So sometimes having that parent at home that does everything or helps you with everything is not the right answer. And and I'm lucky enough to be able to pass that on to my kids. Um, but yeah, that came from a, a parent who didn't want to deal with those questions because maybe, maybe he thought that at some point he may not be able to answer them. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I hear the questions. I hear kind of the, the limiting of the information to our young, our young people so that, you know, they can make valued decisions. But the, the biggest thing in that from all of it is value is being present is being a parent. And the reason why it's important. And I learned this from my, my coach at, uh, at Notre Dame, Tyrone Willingham is because all of these little things that add up, they make you leaders. They build a proper foundation. And, Tyrone told me that, you know, everybody thinks being a leader is hard, man. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, man, you got to do all these extravagant things. And then Tyrone told me, hey, do you know the reason why I'm making you a captain of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? You know what I mean? Because you do everything the right way, man. Simple as that. Things. The little things. You just do it the right way. You ask the questions. You yeah. you, you you pay it for it. You, you, you know, people, people give you a, 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 you know, they give you a big – they give you a big to do about it, like wearing your heart on your sleeve, but man, hey, when when you loving on somebody, when you paying it for them, when you asking those questions, and when you when you go in front of your brother or you go in front of your your brothers, you know what I mean, and fight for them the right way, and you pay that, it, it, it's gonna show up not just on the football field, it's gonna show up in life down the line when you really need it. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're a Milwaukee tool company, you know, when you're operations manager, Justin, you know, Doug, when you were NFL films, you know, trying to get, get that show down to the the proper TRT or that segment for inside the NFL, all those little things being taught by, you know, my mom never went to college. I'm first generation. My my mom was uneducated too. You know what I'm saying? But she did those little things to make sure, like you just said, Quan, you don't got to ask the question because you're going to be the one that's being out there answered, asking it, and then answering it for those that are too scared or too afraid or too, you know, fearful to do it themselves. And you paved the way for those behind you and the ones that, you know, like Chris, you was, you, you was a senior. Hey, Quan, you was a freshman. 
you 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 look you looked at you looked at Chris and say you know what that's a brother that's doing the right way. Would you say hey man I need to see how you drive? I need to see that. You know what I'm saying? So driving from high school to college to Milwaukee too, and now into the lives of youth everywhere, man, like that's commendable. That's commendable. Appreciate that, man. It's the everyman way, man. That's that's what's up. That's that's what it's all about. And uh, I tell you, man, this is this has been a really cool conversation that's kind of branched into a, a lot of different avenues. And uh, um, I think anybody listening to this, you know, no matter what stage of, of, of life you're in, you know, we got a lot of, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody about it, about our show and they were asking like, what's, what's our audience make up? And it's hard to tell with a podcast because, you know, they're not, there's so many different ways to access it that it's hard to get the data, but you know, it's a lot of, you know, 18 to 40, you know, a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of young men, a lot of, a lot of middle-aged men, um, listen to the show, a lot of old men, like my dad, he's listening to this right now. And, uh, <laughs> anybody can, can take away, you know, a couple key things here. Uh, whether that's, you know, somebody like myself, who's, who's not a parent yet, but, uh, you know, I'm getting married in the fall and, and that'll be coming. And it, it, it's, it's cool for me to sit here on this conversation with, with guys that, you know, Quan, I know we just met, but, uh, you know, I look up to you after hearing, learning about you a little bit and, and, and hearing your story. And obviously Daryl, I, I, I admire him immensely. And Chris, you know, your accomplishments and, and just getting to know you as a guy and hearing you talk as parents, as somebody who's about to start that journey is, is, uh, personally been, has been a great experience for me tonight. And I really appreciate that and, and the insight and being so, um, kind of vulnerable on so many different things and just really opening up and having a great, conversation about so many you know important things and um we absolutely are going to have to do this again because it's just it's too much it's too much positivity it's too much good energy and good good knowledge for just one podcast but uh uh, i'll tell you what you you guys are true gentlemen scholars all around every man handsome is all hell it's been a pleasure to uh to have you on boys Appreciate it, man. DC, get that. Get. I know you got a. You got the crib over there, man. Get the fire pit going. So when this, when the, when the, when the weather, um, look, when look. the weather turns, we can get out in the backyard. And the- I, I already told you. You know. You know. Candace is waiting. She's trying to get the girls over here. You know what I'm saying? You got a little over half an acre for us to run around and do some crazy stuff, man. Get them over. Let's go. Let's make it happen. <laughs> you know, I'm ready for it. <laughs> All right, guys. There you go. All right. Be good.